tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Chameleon, Lost for Life, Smitty, and Samuel's Ghost? co-host crystal and i'm your other co-host robert and this is reenacted a podcast where we dive into unsolved mysteries and the reenactments that happen on it yeah we're diving in head first the shallow end of unsolved mysteries if wait if you dive in head first i'm gonna hit yourself is that not what we're doing just hitting ourselves <laughs> let me tell you sometimes it feels like that's all i've ever done with my life uh, <laughs> <laughs> Crystal, you have a convenient change yeah. of topic that you were talking yeah. about beforehand. Sure. Okay. Um, so this is a uh, embarrassing, but I'm I'm happy to talk about it a little bit. Robbie, do you know who uh, Albert Finney is? the The English actor, or he was the English actor. Uh, the name is familiar. What are What are some of the roles he? Was I don't I'm not prepared with that kind of information. Okay, but, but okay, yes, I'm sure I do know though. Okay, do you know who Brian Cox is? He's another English actor. Uh, that name is also familiar. Brian Cox uh, has been in a lot of things I can name. So he he was the uh, police chief in uh, Super Troopers. <laughs> okay. He's in the he's in the lead, and I'm bringing this up because I walked into the bedroom and Dave was watching Succession. He's the lead sort of patriarch of the family in Succession. It's a show on HBO. He's if, if I showed you, uh, you, Google him right now, you'll know who I'm talking about. Okay. Um. So, in telling the story, maybe it won't be as funny as to you, but it might be funny to some of our listeners. So, uh, mm. a, couple, a couple months ago, they're showing me a physicist, a Brian Cox. <laughs> Uh, okay, going down one. Yes, uh, he. Uh, yeah, I know. I know precisely who you're talking about now. Yeah, he's a character actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, and you can Google Albert Finney as well <laughs> while you're at it. I probably um, should. So I was watching something a while ago with Dave, and they were advertising the new season of Succession. Mm-hmm coming up again i have not watched the show don't worry about it it's not no one needs to have seen the show they only need to know who who brian cox is and uh i said to dave oh man it's that's crazy they were able to pull another season together considering he died yeah and uh dave's like what i was like yeah albert finney he died like a while ago and dave's like wait what (laughs) (laughs) and uh and he's like that's Brian Cox. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, no, Albert Finney. And then he like pulled him on. He's like, Albert Finney is this person who died a couple years ago. So basically, I have been walking around my entire life thinking that Brian Cox is Albert Finney and that Brian Cox has been dead for some number of years. But yet they had all this like footage of him right? in this HBO show. And I was like legitimately sad about it because Brian Cox has been in a lot of stuff I like. Yeah. Yeah. Albert Finney was the dad, I think, in, in Big Fish, that movie from. Yes, I, I, I just I just brought I brought up his Wikipedia page and okay. yeah, I was showing. OK, so but so Albert Finney is the one who's dead and Brian Cox is the one who's alive. Brian Cox very much alive. Yes. yes. 
but 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 I was very sad for a long time because I thought Brian Cox was Albert Finney. God, yeah. Which is to say, all older British actors look the same to me. I am surrounded by snakes and fucking morons. It, well, it's really appealing to me because there's like multiple layers of stuff going on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you, 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 Dave is like, what? What? He's dead? What? Huh? Yeah. And then you're, you're, and then you get the, uh, the mind blowing, um, reveal that Brian Cox is Albert Finney and Albert Finney is Brian Cox. Right. Right. Fascinating. But, you know, it makes me sad because someday Brian Cox is going to pass away and then I have to be sad about it again. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry for future maybe sad about Brian Cox. <laughs> Robbie, I've uh, just kind of run out of things to talk about at the beginning here. <laughs> so, what's your favorite Brian Cox role? Oh, he was in Deadwood, and I love everything Deadwood. Oh, so he was the okay. actor, yeah. the actor John Langrish, and he had a very interesting uh, set of scenes with um, Alice Weringen. Uh, who's played by Ian McShane? Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm looking at a, uh, looking at his entire career here on the old Wikipedia. Yeah. Hmm. Very fascinating stuff indeed. Uh, Robbie, has someone ever died? Like a famous person ever died, and you thought they were already dead? So. Uh, and you were like, "Oh no, I th- thought this person was already dead." I can't say that precisely has happened, but there th- it does lead to a story that I will tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't go into the details of who any of these people are because I hate the person who's responsible for me knowing who any of them are uh-huh. now. Okay. Uh, but okay, so I'm at some point I'm talking to some individuals, and you know the topic of I think James. Either Star Wars or James Earl Jones came up, mm-hmm. and one of them said something about James Earl Jones being dead. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, he's not. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he died years ago. And I was like, oh, I, I it didn't seem right to me, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really in any position at that point to dispute it. So I was mm-hmm. just sort of like, you know, shrug my shoulders and... Okay, but then I looked up looked it up later, and James Earl Jones then and now is still very much alive. Huh. And I'm trying to figure out why they thought he was dead. Well, I guess I'm not trying to. I was curious at the time and have long mm-hmm. since stopped caring. Hey, uh, Robbie, do you want to talk about season three, episode sixteen of Unsolved Mysteries? Why not? You're gonna want to talk about our our chef, our bank chef, robbing our, uh, man of the world. He is uh, <laughs> whose name I cannot remember. Well, that's because he has like three names. Oh, okay. Well, well, I mean, and not just in the aliases. I mean his name, Patrick Michael Mitchell. That's right. I knew it was something Mitchell. I was kind of. Do you remember? Did you ever see that documentary called like? king of kong yes oh my god yes there's and there's the guy billy mitchell who like yeah apparently i was confusing billy mitchell (laughs) the 
controversial uh, arcade master. Yeah. With this bank robber guy. Because they look a lot alike, right? They both have like dark black hair. The dark hair, facial, facial hair. Yeah. No, I, I, I could totally see where they, they have a similarity. And then, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in the prison break depiction reenactment, mm-hmm. is it just me? Or in addition to that vending machine, is there not a video game? Uh, there is. Stand. Yeah. And there that is, in fact, an arcade game. Is that is that? Sorry, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to get ahead of our, ourselves, but but I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if like if Billy Mitchell had ever ended up in prison that they'd have a Donkey Kong <laughs> machine in the? Is, <laughs> well, is uh, submitting uh, Donkey Kong records fraudulently is that a crime that can be prosecuted? I would. Ass- <laughs> Did it turn out that he was actually uh, cheating on on all that? I I, I, ne- you know, I never followed up. It's very very controversial stuff. Yeah, a lot, I, of, a lot of people are saying. Right, you know. right. I I, I guess uh, I guess we're dealing with a situation where the stakes aren't actually particularly high. All right, well, moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I've I've really thrown you off track here. He uh, posted up near a. Uh, storage facility that was by the armored car depot i guess mm-hmm. or the bank or whatever he basically memorized the schedule of armored car deliveries whoa, 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 whoa the- we're already going to the robbery we're not going to talk about the prison break oh well i thought we did he escaped uh on oh top of well, I, I, yeah but i was i was really gonna like just well, so- do it well no i just i uh um i was just curious uh do you have any any speculation on what that video game machine is? Oh, hold on. Let me rewind to that part. Um, I cannot tell. We might have to put, might need to get Bill Tilly on the case again. Oh, man. That's right. Okay. Be, be, <laughs> knowing Bill Tilly is probably going to be immensely helpful for these questions in the yeah, future. Yeah, okay. So I'm rewinding back to the scene. There's the vending machine. Mm-hmm. There's a... It, it's I, I can kind of see it. It's um white with blue writing. It's like wavy blue and white writing with a blue back or a white background. Yeah. It's it looks like it says something like the word now. And there's a blue sphere on the right of the uh, logo. Huh. Yes. Yes, you're right. There is a distinct blue sphere on the right. Um. Let me, uh, I'm going to pause it right there. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could put a screenshot up on the Twitter and see if anybody wants to weigh See. in on what that might be. As, as we've done in the past with these questions. That's right. Yes. And we've gotten them solved by Bill Tilly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I just had to throw that out there. Go ahead with the, like, so, uh, uh, Patrick Michael Mitchell and, uh, some people escape by hopping on top of the vending machines uh, from the, you know, well, first they go on the arcade machine and then jump up on the mm-hmm. uh, vending machine, much like you would in Super Mario Brothers, jump on one platform and then jump on yeah. uh, a higher platform. And then they uh, took the tube right right out of the prison. <laughs> do, do, do. That, um, that's where an actual Mario pipe sound should be put Connor, in over. Connor, can you Mario pipe sound something in, please? <laughs> yes, and then but and so uh, Patrick and one of his fellow escapees 
gets in on this 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 robbery thing you're you're now describing. Yeah. So they start watching the schedule of uh, armored truck deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start plotting away. They're going to rob this bank. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to say the guy that gets to do the reenactment of uh, Robert Mitchell looks a lot like Robert Mitchell. So good job, guys. Good casting. Yes. Um, I, I like how like he's spying on them by he rents a storage unit. And then just sort of walks back and forth, putting boxes in and out of his car while watching yeah. the uh, the schedule of the armored car people. So uh, we get to the day of the robbery. Here we go. Hold on to your fucking hats, everybody. It's intense. It is intense. I love this reenactment. Um, they come busting in in their car, right? Mm-hmm. There's some other details to this I'm not going to get right because I was really distracted by the fact that this is fully a point break situation. (laughs) (laughs) It is totally point break. They come in. Both (laughs) of them in the reenactment are wearing Ronald Reagan masks. Mm -hmm. Um, They fly through the window. Yeah. Uh, They know the armored truck just dropped off. They get all the cash. Um, They actually drop something like $20,000 on their way out the door. Yeah, that that was the the part that like when I was watching them making out their escape, doing their escape, their Mm -hmm. arms are kind of awkwardly holding all these individual like packets of money. Mm -hmm. And the thing that came into my mind was like, oh, man, they should have brought a large bag or something. Yeah, they should have had a couple of duffel bags ready to go here, I think. Yeah, I mean, for all the planning they put in, they didn't really, like, figure this one out. So they're awkwardly holding these things. And I'm like, when they're backing out of the bank, the thought that came to my head was like, man, if that was Fumbles trying to deal with that, you know he would be, like, spraying He would have dropped, yeah, he would have dropped a lot more than (laughs) $20,000. Right, right. And, you know, it's like... Uh, uh, and I had that thought right before he dropped one of the packets. I was like, oh, <laughs> he dropped one. He dropped one. <laughs> uh, so they actually leave a little bag that they say is a bomb on their way out to kind of buy them some time. It looks like the kind of bag you get when you stay in the dorms. Uh, yeah, it's like college. a shaving kit bag. Yeah. <laughs> and they say it's a bomb. It gives them enough time to get away. Uh, somebody from the storage facility recognizes the car getting away from the bank. Mm-hmm. So they're able to identify pretty quickly who did it, even though they. Does that make sense? Yeah. So somebody who worked at the storage facility sees the Cadillac leaving the bank. I'm assuming that this employee just like had ample time, uh, chances to see that car because it was probably just they spent part- a lot of time scoping the bank next door. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So they saw that car a lot. Yeah. And that is a sweet, sweet Cadillac. Here's some things we know about Mitchell. Gourmet chef. Ladies man uses uh, retin-A on his skin to maintain a youthful appearance, (laughs) which uh, while an interesting detail, I don't know that that's going to help the general public identify. (laughs) No, no, Christo, say you're some, you know, you're some, uh, you have a new neighbor or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he has like a big party over at his house and he invites the whole neighborhood. And yeah. you notice, like, he's, you know, he's doing a lot of, he, he obviously has a lot of experience cooking. He's making some uh, pretty elaborate meals. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Um, besides the youthful. Ladies man. Uh, you know, he's got like, uh, he's got the squeeze uh, uh, girlfriend who's like hanging on his shoulder. And then, you know, you're, you're like, something's amiss here. And you, you sit down. 
at the table. Everyone's gained, mm-hmm. you know, gained, got mm-hmm. their plate. Yeah. And you, you're trying to f- eat your meal and you're just looking across the table at him and you're like, something's, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And then right in the middle of the meal, he pulls out that th- container of the mm-hmm. uh, the skin, whatever, and he mm-hmm. starts applying it to his, mm-hmm. to his forearms. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. It's him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, pro tip with the retinol A, you guys, or Retin-A, it goes by retinol. It's in a lot of anti-aging products. If you're going to use it, please also make sure during the daytime you were wearing sunscreen. Oh, does it like amplify the effects yes. of the sun? Oh. Yeah. Please wear sunscreen. Well, th- okay. thankfully, I just don't go outside, so. Or don't go outside. Yeah. But then I don't. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, uh, he he makes this bit. They, they make their biggest escape. Do uh-huh. they go, like, uh, skydiving afterwards or anything? No, we don't know. <laughs> we just end with the FBI saying, hey, this is what this guy looks like. Yeah. Better stop him. Uh, and we finally get an update. Was arrested walking out of a bank in Mississippi after a robbery. Yeah, and then uh, he pleads guilty, and he receives two thirty-year sentences plus five years for escaping prison. Yeah. And, uh, and then he dies in prison. The end. Yeah, I, I guess justice is served. So sure. I mean, other than I, I mean, I have to think just because the way that this was reenacted and Point Break comes out. <laughs> Well, I don't know, a year or two after. Yeah. Um, they don't actually mention in the narration that the Ronald Reagan mask. So I'm having a little trouble discerning if that was an actual fact from the robbery. Oh. Or if they were just borrowing from Point Break. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, it, it's, it's an actual fact because somewhere, you must have missed it, they mentioned yeah. that there was... Um, uh, some somewhere the, in the in the narration, they mentioned that in his robbery, for every robbery, he would wear a comic mask. Oh, and, okay. And it included Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon, and Bozo the Clown. And I'll and I'll just I'll just hurry up real quickly be, uh, and to, to our next thing before before you uh, make any political commentary. Oh, I wasn't. Oh, I wasn't going to. I was just. I was wondering if this if this maybe case is where Point Break got its idea. How, um, how many movies do you think like how many times do you think like movie writers watched unsolved mysteries and just like you know, just combine this with that and uh I'm starting to think maybe a little bit now because the presidential mask thing comes up in point Break. the clown mask thing comes up uh in the uh dark night dark night rises yes dark, no I think just the dark night the dark what's the dark night rises that- is that a movie that exists <laughs> Is that the third one? <laughs> yes, it's the third one. Okay, yeah. it's definitely the second one with Heath Ledger because in the beginning in that bank scene, they're all wearing the, the clown, clown mask. Masks. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I have to think that this probably, you know, probably started with this Mitchell guy, right? Yeah, man. You know, uh, Patrick Mitchell should get his own movie. I think he did, and they called it Point Break. <laughs> They just added the surfer element in the Keanu Reeves character, but basically who they're talking about is this guy. You know, the funny thing right? is, like, Patrick Mitchell was probably pretty pleased with his the, the quasi-depiction of himself in Point Break. 
<laughs> probably like, was. Yeah, you know, he's, he's watching it, and he's like, yeah, you know, if I had bothered to take the time, I could have become a, as good a surfer as that, for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that he could have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Robbie, do you want to talk about the saddest man in the entire world? Let's talk about Victor Simon. He is a he is you know he's quite the Frank Grimes. And who's Frank Grimes? <laughs> Crystal, I just sent you a. No, clip. I'm saying for the for the viewer's <laughs> point of view, I now know who Frank Grimes is. I I I, I, I know. I was I was doing that for uh, comedic effect. Yes, Frank Grimes, of course, is that character uh, one-off character from The Simpsons who has the unfortunate uh, series of uh, events in his life, becoming, being an orphan, all sorts of horrible things happen to him. I, I live in a single room above a bowling alley and below another bowling alley. And man, watching this segment was probably one of the most emotionally draining experiences I've had in my life. Because this, um, this uh, guy, Victor Simon, uh, grew up like he was called Frank by the first set of foster or adoptive parents he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is like so rough. So. So rough. Um, you know, he's, he's growing up during the Depression. He has adoptive parents who I know, you know, there's sort of a stereotype that kids during the great depression on farms were basically used as farm hands um i think that's not a stereotype well yeah well yeah i mean based off real stuff and as we but this is like this goes beyond that yeah like i mean this isn't just like boy you need to go milk the cows and blah 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 and blah 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 blah, and you know uh and, and whatnot this is this is a kid who is made to sleep in the barn yeah who is like, they show him, he, he, he brings something over to the father and the mm-hmm. father's like, now go do something, you know, clean out the uh, uh, barn or something. Yeah. And so he's in there doing that. And the mother comes, uh, adoptive mother comes in is like, why aren't you cleaning? Why haven't you cleaned out the barn yet? And it's like, that's, that's what he's doing. He's doing yeah. it right there, right there. And so, and so, yeah, basically she's like, well, you're not getting dinner tonight. Uh, and I guess like, I mean, he mentioned several times he, that like, he had just like nine hunger. Yeah. So yeah, not a great situation. Uh, I, I feel like when we get these period, uh, these, these past segments that involve people adopting kids, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it's a real hit and miss situation because we, mm-hmm. I, I think back about the the one woman who like someone handed her a baby at the train station, mm-hmm. and then just didn't show up, and so she had to leave on the train with it. Mm-hmm. And after and she after talking with the porters, she was like, "Well, I guess I have to adopt this baby now, raise <laughs> mm-hmm. it like my own." And then you get like on the other end of the spectrum, you get these people who are just like. I mean, he's getting treated like a literal slave labor mm-hmm. uh, until uh, was it at the um, was it at the age of nine? They kicked him out mm-hmm. like like, well, it turns, you know, you're not actually really our kid. Uh, mm-hmm. So get lost. God. Uh, and we So we get the pictures of him standing like the reenactment of him standing in the soup line. 
mm-hmm. is unreal. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, he has a little thing. They put the, the pour the soup in it. They hand him like, you know, par- part of a loaf of bread. It's just like, God, God. And that's just like the first like two minutes of the segment. Yeah. Um, so Frank, uh, who through a social worker learns that his real name is Victor Scheiman, mm-hmm. though there's an interesting s- twist on that a little bit later. He uh, sort of bounces around in the system. Uh, somehow he, he's actually able to be in school. Mm-hmm. And they have this reenactment where he's asleep on his desk, mm-hmm. and the teacher wakes him up, and he's like, and "She's like, you didn't, you didn't read, do the reading. That's the third time this week in the last two weeks. So, af- you can stay after class and copy the entire chapter of the book, which I feel was probably something that happened quite frequently with uh, in the school system back then, right?" I, f- I feel like that was a punishment that was still going on in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the social worker that's working with them told him that they knew who his real parents were or something. Mm-hmm. And that if he applied himself and graduated from high school, they would show up at the graduation ceremony. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what... My hypothesis is, is that the social worker just wanted to make sure that Frank graduated high school so that he could have a better chance of success at life mm-hmm. and just decided it was best just to tell him that lie to get him motivated. Well, it worked. Yeah, he did. He graduated high school. They have a nice little reenactment where like all 10 of them are receiving their diploma, which mm-hmm. I can. Ex- all 10 of the class of 1941. <laughs> all ten, which, but I mean, sure. Like it, I, the, it, it looked ridiculous at first, but the thing is, hmm. is like, you know, if you look at pictures of Dayton high school's graduating class from the 1940s, mm-hmm. basically it was what it looks like. I think that was probably the case for most I mean, there was like a third as many people on the earth then <laughs> as there are now. So, well, and but more importantly, like more of them lived in small towns and rural areas than and kids. fewer people graduated high school back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's also a good point. Uh, um, so enter a, a genealogist, yeah, who takes on the case, yeah, like, well, after we get a very depressing, like. Man, like during the during the high school graduation ceremony, just watching him like looking out at the audience, like, mm-hmm. could that be my parents? Could that mm-hmm. be my parents? Yeah, and then, no, it's real bummer. He doesn't get his diploma, and like he just sits down with the rest of the class, and no one comes forward. And he like he described it as like one of the like most empty days of his life, right? Yeah, he said it was like the worst day of his life, which is kind of hard to believe because his life sucks. <laughs> it sucks so much. So, but yes, uh, he he eventually grows up, um, gets married, has five kids, mm-hmm. uh, gets re- involved with a re uh, organization called Reunite mm-hmm. that that tries to help people, and yes, gets uh, connected with this genealogist. Who discovers his identity seemingly very quickly. Yeah. Rose Murphy's her name. 
Victor had been looking for his name, his parents under the name Shyman. Shyman. But and they couldn't find anything in the uh, Ohio uh, CPS records, basically. Because the thing is, is when your ancestors come from Bulgaria. I think it was Hungary. Oh, shit. That's totally going to blow out the uh, my I was going to make this reference to King Simeon of Bulgaria for the first of Bulgaria, who Mm -hmm. was uh, uh, ruled from like the late 800s to the early 900s. Well, forget about that guy. But yes, uh, Victor's parents, uh, ancestors, rather, came from Hungary. So the thing is, is Simon gets has a different pronunciation in Hungarian. Mm-hmm. And so when you're pronouncing it in Hungarian to an English speaker who then has to transcribe it into English, uh, it ends up looking uh, different. So he... People were, you know, I guess pre- previous people who may have looked for his records were looking for Shyman when they should have been looking on paper, it would say Simon. Mm-hmm. And so this <laughs> genealogy finds this information extremely quickly uh, and I guess is able to give him the background story of, uh, of his life, which is yet another, like an earlier link <laughs> in a very sad chain. Yeah. We get a reenactment of his father working on the railroad. Yep. Uh, doing, you know, uh, uh, fixing ties and whatnot. And some guy in the control office flips a switch that causes the thing, that, the, you know, the, the track to switch and crushes mm-hmm. the guy's foot or lower leg. His ankle. Yeah, his, his ankle. ankle shattered. Yeah. Yeah. The same day, his mom goes into labor. With him, yeah. With him, gives birth and dies. Yep. And the father figures, uh, it comes to the conclusion that he, he's just not capable of supporting this new child. Mm-hmm. Gives him up. Wasn't there already like five to 11 children before this? I, there were definitely kids flanking either side of the father in his wheelchair. So, yeah, yeah. It, it had to be pretty. Uh, it was probably already uh, uh, pretty crowded. Yeah. So he gives the kid up for foster care and immediately like we get a depiction of that horrible like what was the woman's accent that of the uh, adoptive parents? Was it like German? Um, it's a, it's some sort of I mean, it's a, she had a foreign accent. Uh, maybe it was just Midwestern asshole. Uh, I don't know. Well, she was definitely an asshole and like just like. As, as the as the worker is giving them the kid, he's like, she's, she's like, his name's Victor Scheiman. And, and she's like, we will call him Frank. Yeah. She's like, oh, what a, I just like, every time I saw her, I was like, what a fucking bitch. <laughs> well. <sighs> she, anyway. So, so he's got all these siblings, presumably. Yeah. Um. What was really strange with this, uh, yeah, because like I guess the father later, once he was recovered, tried to come back and get the kid, but because of the name mix-up, they're like, mm-hmm. yeah. And the the episode doesn't really give us any details, but I looked it up, and I guess like he did end up getting getting put in touch with some of his uh, family. Oh, so we don't get an unsolved mysteries update, but there is an update. Yeah, um, okay. like. He, he he got in contact with uh, 
sis, you know, some uh, uh, some cousins and other people. He passed away before he could actually meet them, but I guess mm-hmm. uh, like one of his daughters or something said like that he he felt like he had basically accomplished what he had set out to do. Like, okay, I know who I am and who my family mm-hmm. is now, and, and and so forth. So, um. Can you imagine how how miserable a man he must have been to live with, though? I understand he had a lot of hardship in his life, but just seeing them talking about it, he's like, he's a, his his voice is a sad trumpet noise. It is, yeah. Like, he, he I mean, he definitely has a real sort of Eeyore outlook. Yeah. Uh, well, well, do you want to move on to the cheerier topic of uh, fa- family homicide? Yeah, multiple ha- uh, homicides. Let's let's do it. We're going to Las Vegas. This is our, our first of two segments that will take place in Nevada on this episode. Viva Las Vegas! There is some vintage flyover of the Strip. Yeah, Las Vegas. Can you identify any of those those hotels? Um, they are, none of them look like I. I do not know Vegas in the eighties. I was. I spent well, a little time there, but I was pretty young. So let's see if I can spot some stuff. Whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, are you saying that you lived in Vegas for a time? I didn't know. Um, my mom had a friend who lived in Vegas. Oh, so they had met when they were both living in Lake Tahoe, and so a couple of times. We went to visit her in Vegas. Oh, okay. Sorry, uh, sorry. I just I I, I felt like <laughs> we were on the verge of yet another no. revelation there. No, no. I think we've covered all of them. Never lived in Vegas, but I did visit as a kid, and this looks pretty familiar. I mean, there was stuff that, like the Dunes would have still been there. Caesars would have been there around this time. Mm. Caesars is still there. Yeah. Uh, Mandalay Bay was new, but it was there right around 1990. Okay. Uh, the Flamingo has always been there. The sands. I I think that's not there anymore. When yeah, when I was when my mother and I went down to Vegas, we I think we we went down a couple of times. We always stayed at the Tropicana, which was oh yeah yeah and, that would have been in this flyover shot too. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I remember you know I remember the Luxor, I remember Camelot. Right? Was that the, that was the the cast? That's Excalibur. Excalibur. Sorry, and that's still there. Yeah, Excalibur. Yeah, for now. I think that might be the next one to get exploded. <laughs> oh, you, th- you think that one's on its way out? I think it, yeah, I think it might be. Oh, man. I've seen better days, man. I, I well, ha- that's how they, do, how they do in Vegas. They just blow everything up and they build a new thing, and then in 10 years they blow that up, so. That's totally how how, how Vegas is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's the, I remember the MGM, the yeah. uh, Treasure Island, the Mirage. Um yeah. Treasure Island uh, would have been mid '90s, so I don't think that would have been in Unsolved Mysteries time. That was a newer one. I definitely remember right. a before and after of Treasure Island being there. Okay, man, I uh, gosh, I really want to go down to like Excalibur now and see their like <sighs> night show before. Oh man, did did you get to go to that? No, like oh, I, we we went we went once on our Vegas trip. We went and saw it. Okay, yeah. Let me explain to you how. Vegas trips <laughs> worked in my <laughs> <Please family. do. laughs> Okay. When my mother and I went down to Vegas, here is the social contract that like basically existed between us. And this was around okay. the time that I would have been in seventh, seventh, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. 
we would uh, we would go down to Vegas, and she was there to gamble. Okay, mm-hmm. so she, yeah, she'd be spending her day gambling, mm-hmm. and I'd be given like a handful of like three or four twenty dollar bills. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with basically, you know, the the right to go anywhere I uh, wanted within the you know, immediate area. So I I went like. I went in, inside the Luxor and looked around mm-hmm. and, you know, just to see, like, how does it look on the inside and stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, we we didn't go to any shows. Uh, mm. We she did her gambling. I just sort mm-hmm. of wandered around, looked at some stuff and then but mostly spent most of my time in the hotel room ordering room service and watching pay-per-view mm-hmm. movies. Um, uh, so that sounds Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, it was those were some excellent family trips. Probably some of the best. Wow. Yeah. No, that sounds great. I think I I feel like my experience was probably pretty similar. But um, since we were there to see a family friend, and she she had a daughter that was the same age as me. Okay. Um, th- it was probably a little more family oriented. And I think that's why we went to the Excalibur show at least once. Oh, okay. Because that was a thing the whole family could do. Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is you guys. This is before a Vegas existed as a family place. So basically, if your parents took you to Vegas, you maybe, maybe there was an arcade with a couple of machines. Maybe. Yeah. And the casino that you were in. This is before casinos got wise to taking the entire family's money. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was the same thing. Like, I would get, get a, you know, a couple of bucks to go play in the arcade if there was one while my mom was off doing whatever. Yeah. And I would a- inevitably run out of money faster than she did. Uh, yeah. Get, like, I wasn't getting handfuls of 20s, first of all. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was getting like five bucks and I would run out. And then I would have to go find my mom on the casino floor. And then we would be in trouble because there was a small child on the casino floor. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, good times. Good yeah. Times. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mom wasn't much of a gambler, though. I'll say that for her. I just I remember her being like, oh, I'm in Vegas. My gamble. My mom was uh, like, I mean, you know, she'd get. But why go to Vegas? You guys her <laughs> you could have just gone up to Reno. Yeah. But she she's she's, you know, she done that already like this was okay you need a different slot machines yeah um and she was always really good at it too well i mean mean, i guess that's the reason why i'm getting handfuls of 20s is because like so she's coming up to the room and like she's just like opening up her purse like robbie i won three thousand dollars here yeah (laughs) oh have i not mentioned this like one year one year like the um, like she had to. She ended up having to pay through the nose on on taxes because one year, yeah. she made literally as much money from casino winnings as her salary. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, did she have to? But I presume because she paid it in taxes, she didn't like lose her salary to win that money back. No, no. Wow. She. I mean, she was That's- successful. Like, like. I mean, there was that. Yeah, that was that was a. I remember that year because like, that's the year we got a big screen TV. And that's the year we we went on like uh, several trips. And that's the year like she was just like she she would just go to like her normal casinos in like Carson City and stuff and just be like, come home and like, uh, you know, uh, like at one or two a.m. And, uh, you know, she'd be like she'd pull out her uh, uh, 
per- walled from her per- her uh, billfold from her purse or whatever, and just like open up and like you know, Gypsy counting out the money and just be like, uh, "Here's your tip, Robbie." <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. I wish, wow. I wish she was still alive. Well, I, I wish I, that for you. I, I mean, not just for the. <laughs> <laughs> for the incredible gambling skills i it, it was amazing yeah so anyway i guess we should probably talk about this this multiple <laughs> so i guess uh this this is actually pretty extreme yeah um so there's a man we're in las vegas obviously we've been talking about that for the last hour mm-hmm. uh there's a man named frank allen who uh he's a los angeles businessman i guess yeah. Even though they introduced Las Vegas as like a appealing place for retirees, no one I think is retired in the story. No, no. It just, it's, yeah, it's strange they mentioned <laughs> Which is puzzling. Yeah, I don't know but, why they mention that. It, it's not really yeah. relevant to the other other than to suggest that like the real estate market is is, is such that like he gets this house this this man uh mm-hmm. Frank Frank Allen gets this house built and he rents mm-hmm. it out. Because the market's so hot or something. Yeah, I'm not really sure. So yeah. Frank Allen, actually, his house, I think, um, if I paid attention to who the sheriffs or the police actually interviewed, were Henderson PD. So he's not actually in Vegas. He's in Henderson. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so he's got this really nice house. And he ostensibly works, I think, pretty often in uh, Los Angeles. So he's going, he's commuting back and forth. So he just keeps a room in this house and he's rented out the rest of this really big house to a man named Joe Smith and his family. Mm-hmm. So Frank Allen comes home from a Los Angeles business trip. He uh, lets himself in. It's so quiet though. He's like, something's, something's not right. right. Um, he, and this is important. He double deadbolts the front door, all the doors of the house. I guess he locked it from the inside with a key. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess there's locks that work that way. Yeah, as Dave mentioned in passing, though, as I was watching the segment, he said that's definitely not up to fire code, <laughs> which is a good point, and it'll come in come into play later. So, f- so Frank goes upstairs to see what's going on because it's just eerie quiet in the house, and there's like four other people that live there. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't hear anything. Well, suddenly he enters a bedroom, and from the closet, he's attacked. Yes, it is Joe Smith. Joe Smith goes for him. And I think he's got a hammer. I believe it was is a hammer. Right? Yeah. Uh, so Frank, so Frank Allen defends himself. He, uh, they, they, he realized what's going on. Yeah. He's got a hammer in the reenactment for sure. Yeah. Uh, Fr- Frank Allen gets the hell out. And he's like mentioned several times in the interview. He, um, he didn't have time for keys. <laughs> Did not have time for keys. So he's trying to run away. Eventually what he does is he busts through the plate glass door. Yeah. When he mentioned that, I was surprised. I was like, wow. And the in- when they're interviewing him, he's not covered with horrible scars. No, he just ran through that <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Fr- Frank Allen out. Yeah. Um, and then he goes and he calls the, the police from the gatehouse because it was like a gated community. So um, the police show up. They find several uh, bodies of uh, Joe Smith's uh, wife and then her um, two daughters from a previous relationship. 
and they had been dead, I think, about 18 hours by the time the cops show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Smith had bailed. Um, interestingly, he had called, I, I guess, the eldest daughter of his wife's to say, you know, I came onto the scene. I'm going to find whoever killed these people. The cops are like, dude, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> the cops aren't buying this for a second. They they know that he killed him. And considering what had happened to Frank Allen, it's, it totally checks out. But what they don't have is a motive because they seem to be happily married. Yeah. Um, they know that Joe Smith was in some financial dire straits. But again, he hadn't taken insurance policies out on his wife and stepchildren yeah, either. Yeah, it's kind of like even at, by the end of the segment, I still have no idea why he killed the family. No, they don't. They don't ever come up with a motive. Yeah. Um. So he gets away ostensibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a gold Lincoln Continental. Dri- last seen driving the, through the deserts of Nevada on his way out of Vegas. Well, there is an update, sort of. Yeah. Minutes. Minutes. Call comes into the Unsolved Mysteries call center. And they say that, uh, wait, there is an update. This isn't a sort of update. This is an update. Yeah. They say that he's living in this motel in Los Angeles. And so by the time the cops get to the motel, though, the guy's fled. Uh, presumably, he knows that he was on this program. Mm-hmm. Um, but they know that Joe Smith's brother lives in L.A. They get in touch with the brother. And, and then that's when Joe Smith gets picked up. Yeah, like they, they, they suspected that he would uh, go- contact his brother. I want to talk to, about Detective E. Edwards of the Los Angeles Police Department's sweater, though. Uh, okay, let's talk about that. I definitely did not catch. It is a bold choice. <laughs> uh, okay. I... It is like bright magenta, Robbie. Uh, Holy shit! And he's he's wearing what looks like a hot pink sweater in the interview and then in the footage of Joseph he's wearing a purple he's wearing a purple one they're probably the same sweater just in different lighting (laughs) I just a bold choice man he is Uh, well I admire the fact that he's confident enough he is putting that on he does not give a shit what other people think no No, he knows he's a man he he can pull that off Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter wait uh, uh, is it easier for men to wear magenta to purple than it is for women no, I'm just saying, when have you ever worn a magenta sweater in your life? Um, yeah. I, you know, of all the people I know, you would probably be the most likely <laughs> to own a sweater like that. Yes, uh, the, the likelihood of it happening is, like, I mean, it's mostly just, like of me putting something like that on. Is It's mostly just determined by like me going into my closet and it's like, oh, I need to put something on. And if it's folded up on top of the pile, it has a good shot of making its way into the rotation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So then we get a white text update uh, that Joe Smith was convicted on three counts of first degree murder and he's going to spend the rest of his life behind bars. And there's this parting shot with this text of him handcuffed in court, smirking. Yeah, sort of. It reminds me of OJ and it's really creepy. It is. It is really uh, uh, unsettling. It's funny you mentioned OJ because like I I, I was seeing this happen, you know, watching this segment and my mind kind of went to OJ and like, yeah, this guy has like real OJ vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, 
Um, cause, well, because he has that. There's that. that uh, they depict the when he called the what was it? His sister-in-law. His um his eldest uh stepdaughter. His eldest stepdaughter, and he called yeah. her, and he was telling her that like. Yeah, the you know the family was murdered, right? And he was mm-hmm. uh, he was gonna he was gonna try to search for the killer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when I started thinking about OJ because <laughs> uh, you know that's what he said he was gonna do after you know the the acquittal, and mm-hmm. uh, and I just like I had this mental image of like uh, Joe Joe Smith saying something you know writing something like if I did it. <laughs> Yeah, but he did do it and he went to jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, yes. Well, Robbie. My God, we're here. We're here. We made it. We are. We we made it. This is uh, though. I don't I don't think our audience quite knows the significance of this segment. Mm. This is one that's we've been w- waiting on for quite some time and and you and i were discussing before we started recording that this is a standout segment in both of our memories yes yes this Uh, and for you for very uh somewhat personal reasons right this is when i think about unsolved mysteries and i think about watching unsolved mysteries as a kid and being scared by it Mm -hmm. this is it this Mm -hmm. This is the segment that embodies that and that provoked Mm -hmm. those feelings most distinctly. Crystal, we -hmm. are going back to, uh, I guess it kind of spans what the late seventies to the eighties. And we are going to back to Nevada. Yep. This is Kelsey house. This is this is one of the most amazing ghost segments ever. Now, uh, I was a little inebriated last night. <laughs> that way, when I started, when I, right before I started watching the segment, and it really, it really spooked me out. I got real spooked. Yeah, it was real spooky. Yeah, this 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 has all of it. It's 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 a very old house dating back to like mm-hmm. the 1860s, right? Mm-hmm. As, uh. Yeah, so I think in 1971 it was celebrating its 100th anniversary. Okay, okay. Um, So it's a very old house, like many of the buildings up in the Virginia City area. Which is where the house started. But then it got got moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, It was uh, eventually ended up somewhere on an address near Geiger Grade. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Which is near... They introduced this segment as being in Fish Springs. Yeah, that's... And I don't, that doesn't sound that's not, right yeah, by yeah, anything it, else that I read. It doesn't, yeah, yeah, no. But it is It is very near your part of the world. Yes, yeah. Very close. Yeah, like, yeah, with within easy driving distance. Um, so, we have two families that, that experience this house. The first one is the Kelsey family. Am I pronouncing mm-hmm. that right? I think yeah. so, yeah. Um, they're dealing with the standard... Haunted house type situations, footsteps, you know, walking up and down, footsteps, footsteps. The daughter sees an, oh, uh, the the apparition of a man with a mustache and a young boy. Mm-hmm. And then later on, 
uh, though she 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 thought in her mind she maybe had conflated it with the the same incident. She at one point she had levitated up yeah. in the house. Um, yep. But it's everyone in the Kelsey family is hearing these footsteps. Yes, yeah, right, them. right. They are all experiencing yeah. this. Um, so the Kelseys bring in a local psychic named Dan. As you do. <laughs> as you do. Dan Martin, uh, who, like, he, he, he visits the home and then was it? He goes back to his own home, right? Uh, I believe so, he, yeah. He goes, he puts he himself, goes back. He and... puts himself in the trance. Uh-huh. And we get this like s- depiction of like the living room of the Kelsey house with the Samuel apparition appearing. Mm-hmm. And Dan Martin explains that, you know, he's, he's talking to the, to the ghost who uh, is now referred to as Samuel. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Hey, look, dude, you're, um, you're kind of scaring the family. All mm-hmm. these footsteps and the, all this other stuff, you know, is, is really unnerving them. And Samuel's like, whoa, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not, you know. I, I'm not that kind ghost. of ghost. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I, I, I'm just hanging out here to try to protect the kids, actually. Yep. So. Uh, Didn't they, and they describe in the, they don't show it in the, there's like a, they do a spooky effect where they make somebody out to look dead. They're all pale and then they like transpose them in to a shot of the house. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the the psychic guy describes him as wearing um, sailor type clothing. Yeah, I didn't get what what he meant by that. Like, it, I don't either, and it's not in the reenactment. But sailor type? Why on earth would there be a sailor in the middle of Nevada? Uh, what are you sailing? Uh, well, unless you're my father during World War II and you're passing through Reno on your way to to be, uh, a ship somewhere wait, waiting somewhere for you on the California coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, my dad can tell you about like his experiences with Reno in the 1940s. It was a much smaller town. Well, I mean, he can't tell you because he's dead. Well, I mean, maybe if we got the psychic to go into a trance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, but no, you, yeah, the, the depiction of when they show the ghost appear is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's, and the fact that it was, mm-hmm. I think. I think the fact that it was done in sort of first person point of view mm-hmm. is kind of one of the reasons why I found this segment so scary as a kid. Cause the mm-hmm. ghosts are looking right at you at the person mm-hmm. watching TV. Mm-hmm. It was really unnerving. Um, mm-hmm. Now that, I mean, granted this part is not so frightening cause it, you know, Samuel's like, Hey, I'm just trying to, I'm, 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 I'm actually try- here to protect the kids the mm-hmm. and so then you know i didn't mean to cause any uh uh so and then over the course of the next few days the the occurrences dissipate and right you know that and like the i guess the they they when they talked with the daughter the daughter was like yeah but i think he's still here you know he's just not making any rec- racket yeah and then this is he's yeah. oh, so, they, she says very creepily he's just moved into the attic right <laughs> what that's that's kind of that's real that's reassuring isn't it um Mm -hmm. so and it's funny i i tried to look up the daughter since she's a local Mm -hmm. yeah and uh um i couldn't i couldn't immediately find her on on the on the social media but when Mm -hmm. i typed in her name I got like one of those things that shot back at me was a douglas county high school reunion 
for class of 1991. Huh. So I'm like, yeah, I wonder if maybe she it's it's spitting that out at me because somehow it knows she was uh, there or something. Mm. Uh, anyway, so the family moves and they have the feeling that the ghost Samuel moved with them. And this is where things kind of, this, this is a brief sort of strange diversion because the mother's explaining how she's taking pictures of the, of her newborn son. And when mm-hmm. they get them back from the, from the photo place, there's a picture of a man with a mustache who they are presuming is Samuel. Mm-hmm. And somehow she took a picture of the ghost Samuel when she was shooting all these pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the possibilities, you know, we, we get like, could it be an actual picture of a ghost? Did they just get the wrong picture in the envelope at the photo develop developing place? Because if, uh-huh. if you don't, if, if you're too young to remember <laughs> It used to be that you would take your pictures on film and you would take it to the photo uh, development place and put it in a little envelope and then you'd come back and you'd get your pictures back in an envelope. Um, I'm just throwing it out there for Generation Z or whoever they are. Yeah, let's let's put a pin in that with the photo as I have things to say. Okay. Because a lot seems to be hinging on this photo. Right, right. Which is unfortunate because of <laughs> I'm sure what you're about to cover. Um, well, do do we want to talk about it now or do we want to keep going through the segment? I'll come back for the photo. Oh, do you want to do the photo later? I guess. Yeah, let's talk about it at the end because, uh, yeah, let's just get through the whole okay. series of the hauntings. Okay. Here. So photo pinned up on the wall and now we're going to get to round two. And this time our protagonists are the Robinson family. And they are dealing with a totally different set of ghosts. Mm-hmm. They they they're in the house the Kelseys had lived in. Yeah, uh, I think renting it out from them. I think so. Yeah, and this is like the next component of why this uh, was so scary for me as a kid. And I think I explained this to you once when you came up and visited me, and we were talking about unsolved mysteries on the couch in the living room for a few mm-hmm. hours. Uh, uh, is that they show the like eleven year old son coming home mm-hmm. from school and like as soon as he walks in the the ambiance of the house is just wrong it's just mm-hmm. like the lighting is off there's there you know he's, he's walking up the steps there's voice he starts to hear voices um it like i mean he starts getting seriously harassed and he actually to the point where he has to run out of the house mm-hmm. and like like one of the ghosts is looking at him through the window. Um, mm-hmm. it, it like as someone who throughout the first uh, several years of my like, ah, Jesus, I'm watching it right now. <laughs> it's, I think this is the point last night where I was just kind of hiding under my blanket. Oh man. Yeah. Is it like, you can see where like I, as a six or seven year old would have mm-hmm. just been like, I mean that that part of the the segment just stuck with me for a long time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and especially if you're like a latchkey kid, as some of us were, like this is your nightmare. Yeah, is you're coming home and there's noises in your house and you don't know what's going on and. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's, and then the the younger son Miles gets levitated. Yeah. It's so you know shit is happening, and then like, yeah. am I just imagining this? Like at one point they're talking, the mother's talking about how she was hearing voices, and that mm-hmm. like w- one of the voice called her a bitch. Um, I don't remember. Like, that. Well, it's interesting. Like she's talking about, <laughs> she's talking about it. Like, and then one of the, mm-hmm. and the and the way she says it too, because I was surprised that like it was you know you you could that that they allowed it to be said. But then mm-hmm. also, but I, I'm wondering if it's because, like, when she says it, she, like, whispers that word really si- quietly. So she's like, and that voice was calling me a bitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, she, yeah, she's saying it's angry. It was a bad voice. Yeah. Again, I was hiding under the blankets at this point. I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah. I was too spooked. So we got boy levitating. We got the mom being called a bitch by uh, the voices. Mm-hmm. Um. So finally... <laughs> Who do they call? Psychic. Psychic. Same psychic. Uh, once again, he puts himself into a trance, and we get another well-done first-person view of the ghosts appearing in the living room of the house. And I, and mm-hmm. I, they changed the furniture around for this, right? Of the Kelsey house for for this the show um, that it's they, it's, sh- they should have. <laughs> it's a new family living there. I, yeah, it's a slight. I, I, I feel, I, yeah, I feel like the couch that sit. I think they threw a chair in there and then they put a blanket over the same couch yeah, when they. Ba- basically, um, and man, like when when I was a kid, and they mm. showed the like the three ghosts materialize and then stand mm. up out of their their furniture and start walking yeah. towards the screen. Oh, yeah. oh my god! Oh my god! Oh god! It was so scary. It's spooky. Yeah. Um, the psychic describes these people as being in more old timey dress, like they would have been in Virginia City, and like they're they're a band of scoundrels. Yep. They, That's the vibe he says he got. They, they like causing trouble. Mm-hmm. Also, the husband had mentioned about hearing somebody walking in the hallway and hearing like the swishing of like satin skirts. I remember that. Right. Right. So this ghost was real swishy. Yes, yes. And one of the ghosts is female, so I yeah. guess her her clothes are making the noise, even though the the clothes aren't a li- you know don't have a soul. So mm-hmm. I don't know how how ghosts work, but um, yeah, it's so. Dan Dan Martin comes in. the The house gets sold, uh, and. Yeah, that it's it's one of the most horrifying things I ever experienced as a kid was watching that segment. And I think this was the one we were talking about, and I it really stuck with me at the time we were talking about it at your house. Yeah, and I remember you saying, you know, this happened at a house nearby, right? But this is one that really stands out in my mind from being a kid and being really terrible. This is what I remember unsolved mysteries being: is this scary all the time? Right, right. This, this, this is like. And I kind of feel like, because I've tried to show, you know, people segments and stuff, and they don't get scared mm. nowadays. And I'm thinking yeah. maybe part of it is, like, stuff like this kind of defined how we felt about the show when, like, mm-hmm. some of the other ghost segments are not really as scary as this. This this yeah. just sort of, this, this pulled the mean that far. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, how they filmed it, which is having these transparent 
go staring right into the camera yeah. and coming coming towards the viewer. Um, I did a little research on this last night after I watched it, mm -hmm. and it turns out the house is still standing, and apparently it's now owned by a Las Vegas casino. Yes. So it was sold from the Kelsey family to someone else, and then now it's in the hands of some casino. And I, I to what purpose I don't know. Do you want to? But a team of ghost hunters is actively investigating it now. Do you do you want to do a do you want to do a road trip involving it at some point in the distant future? I think I think we have to. Yeah. I think we have yeah. to. Um, next, I think probably the next time I come up there, whenever that may be, I owe everyone a visit. We, we should definitely go by the Kelsey house. Right, right. Um, so, do you want to talk about the thing that, okay, that blows the, <laughs> yeah, everything out wanna, of the water? So, I want to. I want to preface this by saying, like, I've certainly had experiences I can't explain, and I believe all of the eyewitness accounts, except for maybe the psychic, because I'm a little dubious on that. I believe that people were scared. They heard things they can't explain. They. Mm -hmm. You know, this feeling of levitating that both families experience that without having presumably talked to each other about it. And Solved Mysteries is very careful to say the Robinson family had no knowledge of what had happened with the Kelsey family before they rented the house. Mm -hmm. um, I believe everyone that's I believe what everyone is saying. They have things they can't explain and they have things that frighten them. Now, as far as the photo thing, <laughs> which seems to be the main piece of physical evidence that people ran with, um, when you, I think, Robbie, I don't know if you ever got your film back and you got the wrong picture. A couple of times. In your film order. It happened? Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Then this supports the theory that I'm about to <laughs> present. Um this they they know in the segment that the picture of the man was the very first picture in the set of developed uh prints okay and the ph photography expert says hey this is a this is a picture of a television screen so it's an image that appeared on a television screen the woman says i did not take a picture of the television screen mm -hmm. i totally believe her but what happens when you used to drop your roll of film off the you know the grocery store counter or whatever yeah because they would send that off to a lab and i know everyone wants to think that their little tiny 24 picture camera roll was treated with the utmost kindness <laughs> and uniqueness and developed uh each each role was developed individually but in fact that's not what happens when you send it to the lab and i know this because i worked in a commercial photography lab for a semester in college oh wow so what happens is they they receive the roll, they break it open. Um, a commercial uh, photo processing facility is going to have these really big tanks that they drop the film reels into. Yeah. And so what they'll do is they will, it's called ganging. They will take a number of these photo orders and they will gang them into one big reel of film before it gets developed. All right. Okay. Interesting. I mean, w before it gets developed, it, so it goes from the, it's already a negative, right? They've developed the negative before they run it off the printing presses. Mm -hmm. That's why I say by develop, before it gets put in into being made into a picture that you can hold. Um, all this film gets ganged together because it is more efficient to do this in big reels of film instead of each individual order. Um, you're supposed to mark the beginning of the roll of film that individual order you're supposed to mark it okay so so that way you wouldn't end up with somebody else's pictures but of course there's human error and how these things get ganged together and how they get processed and put back in the order that you go and then pick up at the store all right 
because you've gotten pictures that did not belong to you before, because this was at the very beginning of uh, the Kelsey's roll of film or their print order. What that tells me is that somebody, maybe a kid, whatever, took a picture of something on the television screen that was part of somebody else's order. got ganged together when they went to run the prints. Mm. Um, and that negative also appeared in their order because you would get the negatives back with your prints as well. Yeah. So I believe the Kelsey's in saying that, like, we didn't take this picture. That's entirely possible. But people got wrong photos all the time. Yeah. And this isn't of a ghost. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 i think it was just an error at the lab you know yeah um the other thing the other thing i noticed uh when i was reading the wiki so this wasn't in the unsolved mystery segment is that that negative of that of the man was preceded by two blank black negatives and a blank black negative afterwards which definitely tells me that that was at the end of somebody else's work. Uh... Okay, that's fascinating. Once again, Crystal's real-life knowledge helps us solve one of these unsolved mysteries. Yeah, sorry guys, not a ghost. It was just a lab error. But I don't think I don't think anyone was like lying or making up things for attention. I think they were legitimately had these experiences and they can't explain it. So Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to go visit. Yes, we we should. Uh, maybe we'll do uh, we could do it to coincide with like when Melasia has one of its big thing so you can go check that out too yeah that would be dope oh um hey robbie we are way over time what what yeah i know we just got really excited about we're not way like we've we finished way later than than this on other episodes but we should be finishing up you're all right it's time to say the things we say at the end of these things uh please go give us five stars on itunes or wherever it is you rate uh, podcast at uh, even if it's just like s- scratching the marks on the stall of your dorm bathroom uh i don't think w- yeah no, w- <laughs> definitely vandalize in the name of our podcast <laughs> I'm, well, I'm not telling you to do that but i'm just saying if that's something you're doing anyway you know and for some reason are leaving reviews of podcasts uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't mind if you mentioned us um then uh Check. Uh, we're at on Twitter at Reenacted Pod. Mm-hmm. We we uh, you can send us an email reenactedpod at gmail.com. and then mm-hmm. go on Facebook and look up Reenacted Podcasts fans. Also, we have a you can subscribe five dollars a month. You get rumper only content. Patreon.com slash Reenacted Pod. Um, we got. Thank you to everyone who has already done that. You're amazing. You're keeping this ship a sail. So yes, the, I, quite literally. Because, uh, well, I won't get into it. But thank you. Thank God. Yes. Um, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, hey, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. Now that guy was a little shatnery at the end. <laughs> <laughs>